Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Pick and Play podcast, now on Spotify. Got it over on Spotify. Uh, joined today by our good friend, Sauce Castillo Jr., Leo, from Florida. How's it going? What's up, man? I'm excited for this draft tonight. I'm itching for it. Yeah, I know. We need sports, and on that topic of sports, we got the Jordan Doc we're going to be covering today, first two episodes. And then we're going to be diving into, this is early, but you really need to start it early to get it right. Um, this is my process for determining uh, who I think is going to win the MVP. Um, as we get to that later down the road, I did nail the Lamar Jackson, and the year before that, I didn't have Mahomes winning the MVP, but I did predict his breakout year. Um, and I was very high on him, and I followed a similar process for both of them. So I'll walk everyone through the beginning of that process. But first, we turn to the Jordan doc. Uh, I think it blew up social media all Sunday into Monday. The uh, prevailing thought was, I would love if all 10 episodes were right now. I'll just watch these from Sunday at 9 o'clock all the way through. I don't care if it ends at like 6 a.m., I'll deal with it Monday morning, uh, but the excitement, um, the stories they told, the footage, uh, really it was kind of a mind-blowing experience, uh, peeling back the layers, and the enticing thing for me is this was just the table setter, so what were your initial thoughts about the doc? See, going into it, I was already excited because I thought that it was going to be good, and somehow it still surpassed my expectation. Like I, I was, I was locked in. Like at at the end of those two hours, it those two hours I would say felt like forty five minutes. Like we we could have got a good six hours, and I would have been there for all of it. All of it. Like you're saying, if they would have just played the whole thing until six seven in the morning, I probably would have took the day off. Yeah. So you know, uh, I think. We're going to get a lot more about Jordan coming up shortly uh, in terms of his tenacity. We're kind of walking through a little bit of his history. Uh, I will say the, the number one thing I learned, uh, and, and I didn't learn this, but it's again more, I'll say learned. I learned about this specific situation, but it's something I keep an eye on when I uh, follow football and, and any other sport is I look to the ownership. The stunning thing to me, was that Jerry Krause, the GM of the Bulls, single-handedly is responsible for destroying that dynasty. And we're going to find out, but I'm pretty sure that he's the reason Jordan retired. Man, <laughs> Jordan was killing his ass. You know, they, they threw a couple clips in there of, of Jordan clowning that man. And if they allowed that, in the first couple episodes, just imagine what they cut out. So, yeah, yeah I mean, he probably resented that, that team a lot. I, if you put yourself in his shoes, I guess you can see what he was doing, but that was still an epic mistake. It, it was. Um, uh, so, two things that they're showing on the dock that really get me. One, uh, Jerry Krause believing that teams are built from, you know, the GM down, which is... Correct. The GM's job is to bring talent in the door. That's it. That's really the GM's only job. Acquiring and maintaining talent. The coach's job is to put the talent together and make a winning team. 
The player's job is to play, and the owner's job is to supervise all those individual things. One thing is clear. The Bulls owner had, had and has no idea how to run a team. That is very clear that they lucked into this situation. Jerry Bro, Krause. How, how do you ahead. get tasked with either choosing between Jordan and Jerry Krause, and you just let Jerry Krause do his thing? This, I'd have fired the shit out of Jerry Krause. This is a also very telling, uh, and I get this a lot in the books that I, I've read a lot about football and uh, college basketball from like the 1960s to the 1980s is really what I've been doing. Uh, uh, during with my quarantine and I would say that the thing that surprises and uh, I would guess illuminates it most for me is these front offices did have a prevailing thought that they were the reason that you know teams are successful and it makes a little bit of sense the uh, because the the GM's job really at the end of the day uh, like I said for the team is to acquire talent uh, you know uh, and retain it but for the man, for the owner, the GM's job is to kind of be their friend, and they buddy up with them. It's why you see bad teams stay bad because they keep the same GMs or they listen to the same people over and over again. So uh, the owner really, really did a terrible job, and allowing this to happen shows that he never actually understood. He thinks owning a basketball team is novelty, right? It's winning did, must have not meant anything to him. Uh, he was interested in the money that it brought in, but didn't necessarily care how the money got there. Uh, and, and that's what I really gleam out of this is from a ownership leadership perspective, you're dealing with someone who A, doesn't care about basketball, B, doesn't know how it operates, and C, had... The best head coach of all time, uh, winningest head coach in terms of rings of all time. Uh, no, not best. You were right, best. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, you, you can't, you cannot deny eleven rings, um, and and the greatest player of all time, and you let both of them walk for a GM. So you know, it's it. You could tell that the owner, that's his buddy, that's his friend. So to me, it was it was this would never happen today. And and it's not even like Jordan was the best player ever. Like, if, um, for instance, if you walk through, and let's just take basketball, for example, how many players could go, me or the coach, and the coach is fired? I mean, Carl Anthony Towns did that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. I can't make sense of it either. I know you were saying that the owner only cares about bringing in the money, but even from a money standpoint, that's still stupid. Like, bringing Jordan back brings more money. Nobody, and they saw, they've been seeing it ever since he left. They they feel that maybe one real contender with Derrick Rose, but Jordan brings money. So, you know, whether you care about money or whether you care about winning, the smart choice is Jordan. The, the GM's not bringing you money. Well, so that's the thing. It shows a lack to me of clear understanding of how it all works, how basketball works, how sports work, um, how uh, monetary value in those sports work. And the evidence is the last 20 years. So that's what I mean. The guy just didn't know. He didn't know anything. You know, his GM would go to him and say, Jordan's great, but Jordan was nothing until I put the right pieces around him. 
If you trust me, I'll find you the next Jordan. Now, the owner, the owner doesn't know basketball. He probably doesn't watch basketball. He doesn't understand it. So his GM, who's his friend, you know, who's got his ear, says these things, and he must believe them. And this is the only logical explanation I can come up with, right? Is your best friend, you know, you put your best friend or someone in charge of something, right? It's great. You have immense success, and you're you're friend tells you why you know i found jordan it's not like jordan was the number one pick jordan was the number three pick so i found jordan then you know although jordan's great i had to pair him with scotty and then i got rodman you know i was the one that hired phil so the reason why all these things work is because of me not because of the players and the owner goes that all makes sense because it does if you have no idea what's happening in your sport and that's how you get to that conclusion and to me, what's fascinating is, once again, you have an owner who wants to own a sports team for the novelty of it. It's like owning a car for him. Oh, it's the fastest car. Oh, cool. We'll put it in the garage. I'll tell people I own it. That's it. Doesn't like basketball. Never watched a game, probably. Here we are. Legacy. <laughs> and you see him yeah, on the dock. Jerry Reinsdorf. Complete dumbass. Right. And so that's kind of my thought is what's stunning to me is, again, the revelation that some of these owners have zero idea what's going on on the field. I mean, Jordan, they're calling him God, but the owner has no clue. <laughs> like That's pretty, how you win six championships and don't know. Don't know. You know that you have the greatest of all time in your building. But But tell me how he could know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the only explanation is that he just didn't know. I think that's the most stunning thing. The owner, while this is all going on, yeah, while this is all going on, the owner has no idea why it's happening. People are like, oh, you own the Bulls, man. The Bulls are great. And he's going, cool. (laughs) You know, like, it's a status symbol. Why is it good? Oh, I have no fucking clue. No fucking, well, you have, you know, Michael Jordan and Pippen, two of the top, uh, the top player, and then a top you know, 10 player. You got two of the top 10 players plus Phil, you know, the Zen master. They, you know, they've got five rings. How does he not step in at some point and go, you know, fuck it. Uh, Phil, you're staying. How much is it going to fucking cost you? Because they underpaid Phil too. Pippen, we're going to ride you out the next couple years. How much do you want? Fuck it. Jordan, you're not going anywhere, asshole. You're going to stay right here and we're going to pay you. I, I, to me, the stunning thing is we're, we're two episodes in and the disdain for Jerry Krause and the owner are I, 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 I just don't know if there's a bigger villain in basketball history at this point. I can say that I appreciate Jerry Reinsdorf um, because his actions led to Phil Jackson ending up on the Lakers and leading Kobe and Shaq and then Kobe. And I enjoyed those championships a lot. So shout out Jerry Reinsdorf. Right. There it is again. I just don't get it. That That's uh, the most uh, amazing thing for me about this doc. Now, I'm ready to see the full Jordan asshole because we know that's coming. Um, well, I, I had no idea that Pippen was that underpaid. Yeah. Like, I had zero clue. Bro, they, they had him below John Paxson. Look, how about the owner going, I tried to tell Pippen not to sign it. No, you fucking <laughs> didn't. bullshit. No, you fucking didn't. You pay the coach. You didn't want to pay Phil Jackson, who had five rings. You let him go. You didn't want to 
pay Pip and you won't pay anyone. It's And again, it just shows the complete disconnect. I told him not to sign it. Well, you know you could fix it, right? Like, you know that it's your pocketbook, right? Yeah, but you didn't want to fix it. Well, it's a matter of principle. No, it's not. How's this for principle? Since he left, your team's been terrible. There's some principle for you. How many How many billions of dollars over that span? You're not talking about one or two. You're talking 20 years from there. Did you basically give up because you have no interest and no idea how to run a basketball organization? So when you talk so about... So I looked it up just yeah. now while we're talking. Jerry Runsdorf is a CPA and lawyer, or was in his professional life, and spent it as a tax attorney for the IRS. There's no fucking way he told Pippen not to sign that contract. He knew what he was doing. Yeah, 100%. That's what they do. So, you know, he's full of shit and he's a loser uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, running a sports team. Yes, six rings. I do get all that. He had really no part in it. Could have been any single coach, any single owner that ended up with Jordan at number three. Um, you know, Lux into that. Jerry Krause. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen the clip from Jordan. When Jordan was at his Hall of Fame retirement, he literally called Jerry Krause out. And he said, I don't know who invited Jerry, but it wasn't me. Yeah. So, That's what I'm saying, man. They were probably terrorizing this man. If we got those clips, I don't even want to see what they cut out. Have well, you, actually, a lot I do want to see. I do want to see it. Have you seen, uh, you've seen Space Jam? That, yeah. The right. bad boss in Space Jam is definitely Jerry Krause. Wow. I didn't even... Damn. Look, they are. You can't tell me they're not. <laughs> you can't tell me they're not. So, you know, yeah. Is that a thing? Is that Look, is that out there? I, I don't it's 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 speculated. <laughs> Look at it. I mean, you tell me, you know, he comes down, he steals the talent from the NBA players, you know, he he Jordan ends up beating him for his freedom. You know, it's a it, 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 there's a lot of parallels. So, I, I I I for me, I believe that that's who it was made and modeled after. And it'd be a tough time selling me on it not. Uh, more into the doc about Jordan playing. How about when he play? He's going golfing, and he he tells him, you know, I, so he. He comes out and goes, ah, you know, I got something for you the next night. Tell DJ I got something for him. And then he puts up, what, 63 points a night? Yeah, just casually goes on to set the all-time play playoff <laughs> scoring record. <laughs> I mean, at 40-some, 40 40, 43 the night before, like, the night before. Like, just what an... And lost both games. That's the crazy <laughs> I know. You know, that, yeah, he's a golden gun. And he's like, this is crazy. I can't win. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if there's ever been a team with a higher basketball IQ than that Celtics team. I mean, you've got Bird, Ainge, uh, Carlisle is on that team, uh, Walton. There is so, there's so many players on that team that have, like, you'd be like, oh, well, that you know, they've got 100 out of 100 player IQ. Like, and, and still it didn't matter what they threw at him. They were dejected playing against him. You know, the only thing I think that kept them from being completely demoralized is looking up at the score and being like, okay, we still got him by a little bit. But over the next eight episodes, I think we're going to see Jordan nailing these people to the cross. I mean, this is going to be brutal, and I'm all here for it. Yeah, 
You know what? Um, what I didn't like about it, and this the the really the only thing I can even complain about. I didn't really like how they were jumping from like the beginning of the story to the last season. I know the doc's supposed to be about the last season, and they I'm sure need to set the table for that first, but it could have been a little better organized at times. Cause there were a couple of times where I'm, I'm not sure if I'm looking at a clip from, you know, 86 or am I looking at a clip from 96? Yeah. I see they, they, they did jump. I think that they're trying to do. So uh, the background on this footage, I don't know how much you know about the background of it. So during their last year, uh, I'm pretty sure it was HBO uh, someone had come up with this idea that we're going to record all this behind-the-scenes footage. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take it all, and uh, Jordan agreed to it uh, because they marketed it as, look, if this doc comes out and you look at it and you go, I don't want to be portrayed that way. Okay, fine, we'll stash it. But maybe your kids want to see it. So let's hold on to it. So... They only, you know, at the time it was supposed to be just to highlight that year. So now that we get so far in the future, I think they're trying to show as much as that footage as possible while fill in the gaps. And I agree that I think they could flip back and forth a little better. Um, I think they're kind of forced with we, you know, we only want to show a lot of new footage. We don't want to show old footage. So this is what we have. How do we piece it together? I think in the next couple episodes, you know, we still have Rodman to go over. Um, and you'll probably get some coup coach in there, but then after that, you're going to kind of see it just glide through the season. Um, I think it'll shape up better the further we go, but I, I, I do agree with what you're saying. It is a little choppy. Yeah. I mean, the, the quality of the production is all good. I'm just, it, sometimes it confused me with jumping back and forth between the, the beginning of the story and the end. Yeah. I, I will, you know, as far as documentaries go, it's going to be one of those that we probably put down in a vault when it's all said and done. Uh, but I, I hope that what you're talking about, that jumping back and forth, and it really happened, I felt like, in the beginning of every episode, that it kind of jumped you back and then it started the story kind of out of the blue in a way. Uh, right. I, I just hope that stops and we get more of a linear fashion, you know, so we don't have to. I don't want to rewatch parts of it. So. Yeah, I got you. Any parting thoughts on the doc? No, I'm excited to keep watching it, man. I know. To my TV this Sunday, the next Sunday, the next Sunday, the next Sunday. We get <laughs> actual we get actual sports Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday this week. Yeah, yeah, man, I'm ready for this draft. Hey, Jeff Gladney, he needs to be the pick at 29. Let me just throw that out there. Look, I, I for me, what's funny is my draft list I put together. I I don't so I don't follow college football really at all. Um, what I do is I put together a list of needs I think the team like needs to fill going into the draft, and then I evaluate based on what they get. Uh, the only problem that I really have with the draft is doesn't matter who you select, there's no barometer of success. Like to say like, oh, you got the number one pick. Okay, well, that's instantly an upgrade. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> Sometimes it's not. <laughs> so you, you kind of go into it going, all right, uh, how do I evaluate them? Uh, and how do I evaluate a team uh, and, and their success based on who they get in the draft? Because we've all gotten players that we were really excited about that sucked. <laughs> oh, yes. So, yes, I've been there many times. You're like, okay, well, that's kind of bullshit. So with that in mind, 
Uh, I'm gonna kind of start the process of walking people through how I do my MVP betting. Uh, and again, you know, I had success with Mahomes. I've had success with Lamar. I, I took some time to kind of evaluate my process and lay it flat over the off season here. Um, and I'll use some of the data here that I come up with. So let's jump into it here. The data that I start with, I'm going back to 2004. Uh, I just think that's far enough back where the NFL's, I try to get what the current NFL is and then the generation before it. Um, so since 2004, so we're talking about 16 MVPs, right? Uh, through this list, uh, and, and here's some trivia for you, there are 16 uh, years we're talking about. In those 16 years, three of them are running backs. Three MVPs. Can you name them? Since what year? 2004. Since 2004. Okay. Um, yes, I I might not be able to name them all. Uh, one of them was definitely Ladanian Tomlinson. Correct. Uh, one of them was definitely Adrian Peterson. Correct. Now, the last one is the tricky one. This is 2005. Uh 2005 MVP. Ah, uh, you got me. I okay, don't know. I was it's 11. It's Sean Alexander. Ah, Sean Alexander. Sean Alexander, right? Uh, that's Sean a, Alex. Okay. Yeah. When I first looked that up, I was like, "Now that's interesting," uh, because I just don't remember that at all. Um, but you know, we were younger. Uh, so during that time, we're talking about 16 years. One of the things you look, and again, this is building the MVP case, right? So no wide receivers. You're not going to have a wide receiver. Why? Because if a wide receiver, wide receiver would need like 3,000 yards, maybe 2,000 yards. But then your quarterback probably has 5,000, and you get overshadowed, you know? Let, let me read you the note, because I took some notes for this yeah. that I wrote for wide receiver. So... Any wide receiver that has a season great enough to win an MVP has the quarterback who's actually going to win MVP. Right. But, it, I mean, for, for a hypothetical, I think that if a wide receiver was going to win the MVP, it'd have to be over 2,000 yards. It'd have to be over 15 touchdowns. And we'd really have to get some highlight plays. You know, he's being double teams. He's on Sports Center. You know, it would have to be something outrageous. Yeah, and, and I mean, it would it would have to be really outrageous because I think, so here's what I came up with. 150 receptions, over 2,100 receiving yards, over over 15 touchdowns. That's what you'd need. And in today's NFL, you just, it, the ball's too spread out. Um, you run too, like, we've, we've learned so much about the NFL that feeding one wide receiver you can't have a winning record and feed one wide receiver. Teams might give you that wide receiver, but if they're giving you that wide receiver, it means they're taking everything else away, and you're probably not going to win more than like eight to nine games. And we're going to get into how many wins you need in a little bit. Uh, right. I just think, like, let's say hypothetically Tyreek Hill has a 2,100-yard season with 15 touchdowns. You know, he's, he's doing it all. Mahomes is still going to win MVP. Easily. Like and that, and here's here's something that I discovered: getting repeat MVPs make up a majority of the M, not a majority make up almost half of the MVPs. So uh, in this time frame, you know, the second thing we look at is wins. Okay, how many wins do you need, right? 
and and wins don't always translate to what seed you're at but but it helps like you can't be a you know a nine there's there isn't a nine uh win team that's won an mvp in the in this in this span um adrian peterson won it this is the lowest of both barometers adrian peterson won it in 2012 with 10 wins and the sixth seed okay both anomalies both anomalies there's the only 10 seed uh, it's the only six seed that's the only 10 win team on this list so you know when you're talking about a skill position winning it it's so hard ap had record-breaking year you know broke all the records we just don't use players like that anymore out of all of the wins uh there is most of them fall between 15 and 12 wins out of those 16 years only three years was someone higher or lower than 15 to 11, uh, 15 to 12 wins. Uh, the Patriots went 16 and 0. Tom Brady won the MVP. Uh, uh, there's the 10 win team of the Minnesota Vikings and the 11 win team of the Atlanta Falcons with Matt Ryan. So, you know, you've got to be a one of the top two seeds and B basically have 12 plus wins. So. You kind of eliminate running backs. At, you eliminate like almost every skill position in the modern NFL with with kind of those parameters. And that's what I, I look at. You know, 82% of the teams have a win total between 15 and 12. 66% of all MVPs were the one seed. Out of these 16 years, 10 times were they the one seed. You know, like that's just how it's going to be. You've got to be a freak right, or right. the best. Best player on the best teams. That's that, how MVP normally shakes out. That's how it works. And so then I get to, you know, and you actually have some candidates this year in uh, Tannehill, who I'm, I'm, I'm not really going to consider, but uh, Derek Henry. Uh, you have to have, like I said, 12 wins. Um, I don't think that a team – how many wins do you think you can get between years like you upgrade right without upgrading your quarterback i don't think you can get more than like two to four wins right i, I mean are we talking specifically about tennessee or in general in general in general i would agree with you i do think the titans have the potential to shoot up this season only because ryan Tannehill jumped in when we were two and four i think yep so you know there, there's some room for improvement for the for the Titans, but in general, yeah, I agree with that. Two to four. So the Titans finished with nine, right? So do you see a 13-win season? Uh, maybe not 13. I could see 12. Right, okay. Especially so, with DeAndre Hopkins out of the division. Phillip Rivers is quarterbacking the Colts. The Jags are the Jags. Yeah, I could see a good year. A good year, right. So that's kind of what I used to go, all right, so I'm not – uh, one of the things is people, you know, they see Patrick Mahomes, they see Lamar, right? And they go, oh, okay, you know who the next one is? Kyler Murray, right? You, I think, I don't know if you've heard that, but that's like the big hot talk. Kyler Murray is going to be the next MVP, right? Because we saw Mahomes make that jump. We saw Lamar make that jump. Okay, it's got to be a trend. Now, the difference is Lamar and Mahomes both were on playoff teams before their jump. They weren't, they weren't on a five win Arizona Cardinal team uh, you're not adding a quarterback to the Cardinals you have your quarterback do you think the Cardinals can jump four wins with no major additions besides Hopkins is Hopkins worth four wins because I don't believe that 
Nah, four? No, four is a little high. Hopkins might be worth two, I think. I, might be able to throw two wins on there. Maybe, right? Especially in the division they're in. So when I look at it, you know, we go one step down. We've looked at MVPs. What do you got to do? You got to win 12 to 14 games, right? Uh, you've got to be a one or a two seed, basically. Uh, so we, you eliminate half the teams from the NFL just off that. Nobody on, you know, Oakland had seven wins. Atlanta, New York Jets, Cleveland Browns, Jaguars, Cardinals, Panthers, Dolphins, Giants, Lions, Redskins, Bears, uh, uh, not Bears, Bengals, all of them with four wins don't get to, tw- four additional wins this year don't get to 12 wins. Hold on, though, Let, just for argument's sake. The Cardinals are also getting back, I think, a first-round offensive left tackle that they drafted last season that missed the whole year. So is a franchise left tackle and DeAndre Hopkins worth a couple wins? So I don't think so. If he pans out. I don't think so. Um, I really believe that wins are so hard to get in the NFL. Adding a quarterback is the only thing that can jump you, you know, two or three wins. Everything else, you get better, 100%. But the Cardinals... Defense is terrible. Terrible. And that's not going to, you know, you're going to need two years to retool that. You're also in a very tough division. Getting a left tackle on Hopkins both make your offense better. But uh, do the, uh, would you say the Cardinals had better weapons than, let's say, the Cleveland Browns with Odell Beckham, uh, you know, a dual headed running back in Chubb and Hunt? Uh, Najoku as a tight end, who's a good pass-catching tight end, um, and uh, Jarvis Landry. Uh, that's a, that's On a... paper, I would say that Cleveland has the better lineup, but if you ask me to bet $100 on whose offense would be better next year, I might go with the Cardinals. I, 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 don't, I don't disagree with you. I'm saying that Cleveland, with all that, had six wins. Okay, yeah, I'm with you. So, you know, with all that, six wins. Now they're going to get a new head coach. Is a new head coach worth four wins? Because if a new head coach, that's all they do is they add a new head coach. That head coach comes in, they get four wins. Cleveland still only has ten wins and really doesn't qualify. Right. So that's kind of my point with the Cardinals is if you think Kyler Murray, who played last year, all last year, is going to play this year, and now they're going to win uh, you're looking at you're going to need seven more wins. I don't see it, and that's kind of the exercise. Eliminate all of the fluff, right? Just go straight to the numbers. What do the numbers tell you? There are uh, there are a few teams with quarterback changes that you could see a dramatic increase. I'm talking about like that top. You know, you're seeing a four win swing. My number one on the list is the Tennessee Titans. They have nine wins, and I've added them just like you said because they didn't get their quarterback all year. So, you know, Tannehill, could they go to a 10-11 win team? 100% in my eyes. And it'll, they could go to a 12 win team. And if they do, Derrick Henry's going to be an option. If the Titans win 12 games, Derrick Henry, I'm saying he's somewhere around like 17, 1800 yards, maybe 20 touchdowns. Like, I, I could see a monster Derrick Henry season coming because when Tannehill took over, Derrick Henry went crazy last season. Yep. Once we could actually pass the ball, it, it was a whole different game. And he was already doing well before that, but he turned it up on another level. So that's and, – and it is a contract year. You know, he's still still looking for that money. Uh, he's going to get, what, $10 million in guaranteed. So 
you know, that's a big candidate. Uh, nothing like an MVP on your trophy case to uh, go into contract negotiations with. Um, and, and that really, like you said, adding him for the whole year, uh, it really brings our list of teams that could have NFL caliber players on them. I mean, MVP caliber players. It's the Ravens, the Saints, the Niners, the Packers, Chiefs, Seahawks, Texans, Vikings, Eagles, Steelers, Cowboys, Titans, Buccaneers. Now, the Buccaneers had seven wins last year. But when you talk about adding Brady and adding the other pieces, I think they, I think they could end up as an 11-win team. I don't think they can get to 12. I just really don't. Um, uh, you know, Brady on the Patriots last year, which has a much better defense than the Buccaneers, uh, you know, he, he got 12 now. So, uh, you know, I just don't see it. So as we... Uh, let, let me stop you there because I want to ask you a question about something I was debating with some people yesterday. What do you think about a healthy Gronk playing down in Tampa Bay with Brady again? Because the last time we saw Gronk, the numbers weren't great, but he was also banged up and on pace to have a good season if he played, you know, the amount that he usually plays. So I think that his downfall was a little overstated, and I think that he could have a big season when he comes back. But what do you think about that? So I think that Gronk is going to be used on third down packages almost exclusively. Um, I don't think, and red zone. I don't think you're going to see him on first and second. I think they're going to use a lot of Cameron Brait to do that blocking, staying inside, a reliable pass catcher. Uh, New England's offense rotated through the tight end because of the options it get it uh, gets them. Bruce Arians' offense revolves around a downfield passing, which will change a little bit because Brady does not have the arm strength he used to. Um, but my take on Gronk is that a year off is going to make him very refreshed. He will he'll probably be leaner. You probably won't see the big hulking Goliath Gronk. You'll probably see a leaner Gronk. That yeah, line he does look skinnier. Yeah, it's I've gonna seen. line up in the slot a little more. Uh, he looks refreshed. He looks ready to go. Um, I, I do believe Gronk will have a good year. I don't believe his receptions will be very high. I think you could see Gronk's line being something like forty to fifty receptions, seven hundred yards, and eight touchdowns because they use him in the red zone, right? He, right. I think that's where Gronk is going to add a ton of value for them. They don't have a running back that's going to scare you in the red zone, so they're going to try to spread you out and let Brady. Um, I don't know. You do you remember the Peyton Manning run when they had that phenomenal defense and Peyton's arm was just and shot? He was just ass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was the year they won the Super Bowl. Right? Yes, and but they used his brain a lot, right? Uh, Peyton and Tom are going to be used a lot of the same way. Set the set the offense up out there. See what the defense is giving you, and then manipulate it into a into a plus situation. So you know, I could see. Uh, I I think that I also don't remember a time when the team in the off season actually turned out to be a good winning team. Um, you, you, that's just the way it goes. Last off season, it was the Browns, right? And we just talked about how they won six games. So uh, I think that's a big problem. Now, I look at it like this. Through Brady, the, the Bucks they need help almost everywhere except receiver. But they, they needed help on the offensive line. Their run game needs help and the defense needs help. But I think adding Brady almost helps all three of those facets of the game just by adding him. Like, 
I, I don't know how good Jameis was with, with checking out of runs, checking into runs, making offensive alignment, uh, making offensive line adjustments, excuse me. Um, Brady's not going to turn the ball over 30 times, which is going to help the defense, you know, just through osmosis, you know. I agree. So, Here's the other I, thing. Uh, Brady is not super affected by pressure on the outside of lines. He's really uh, he's really under duress if you push the middle of the pocket, and the reason why is if you push the middle of the pocket, you've got to shift left and right, which requires more mobility. When you press from the outside, all Brady has to do is take steps forward. So no one in that division has interior rush, really no, whatsoever. No, no. <laughs> so it is a great setup for him. Uh, so I did include the Buccaneers on this list because Tom Brady, with Tom Brady being the option there. Uh, but likewise, I eliminate the Patriots. You know, they're not going to do it. Um, I don't really trust teams with bad quarterbacks at all. And, and to your point, when you talk about, uh, you know, Peyton Manning wins the Super Bowl basically without a, a throwing arm, mainly just due to his smarts of football and keeping the offense afloat. Peyton hasn't shown that that steep of a decline now to be fair two years prior to Peyton Manning uh falling off a cliff he won the MVP remember he set the record for touchdowns in a season with Denver yeah and they and, lost in the Super Bowl right yeah got mulched yeah yeah by Seattle but right, that, okay that's my point like that, that's funny it can it, just happen his amazing season he got his ass busted <laughs> I know they got I think it was like 44 10 it was over immediately so, uh, it, you know, it, that's how it works. So I just keep, I keep like an, a wary eye on that is it can just happen. I mean, Manny went from MVP setting records to he can't throw and now he's out of the league. <laughs> like he wanted to keep playing. No team would take him because you can't. Yeah, but didn't he fall off after all those neck surgeries though? I mean, Brady's he, been relatively healthy. He had the neck surgeries and then went to Denver. Oh, okay, so that was before he... All right. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, now Brady hasn't had any of those surgeries, but he's 43. Peyton wasn't 43. You know, it's just something to keep an eye on. Uh, teams I eliminate that fall in the win range, uh, for me, the Los Angeles Rams will not have an MVP. Jared Goff will not be an MVP, even though they had Jared nine... Jared Goff is ass. Ass. It's horrible. That you're, there's a theme here. The Bears had... Eight wins, so you go, hey, they, they fall into that plus four category, but Mitchell Trubisky's worse than Jared Goff. And, yeah, for sure. And Somehow. I'm, I'm going to tell you this. Josh Allen is is Mitchell Trubisky, man, on a different team in different colors. And stop me if you've heard this before. The team's got weapons, a good offensive line, a solid coach, and a great defense, but they can't seem to get over the top because the quarterback is terrible. I know I've said this on previous podcasts before, but as a Stefan Diggs uh, dynasty fantasy owner, not thrilled. You shouldn't be. He's going to have his worst year ever. He's going to have his worst year. I, 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 I don't think Josh Allen was the worst deep throwing quarterback last year. And the year previous to that, he you had to go into like historically bad. He improved to thirty second. <laughs> like, like okay, so he improves next year to twenty eight. It's you know, they would be better with Mariota. 
That's that's you think my honest Margo opinion. Margo might win that job in Oakland. Uh, yes, because Derek Carr uh, and uh, they eliminate themselves. Derek Carr uh, is king checkdown. He's king of the. Uh, there are players who get all these yards, and it's always when the team's losing. Oh, man, he threw for 300 yards. Yeah, they lost by 14. It was 44 to 30. Like, it wasn't close. Both defenses, one, you know, De- oh, he threw an early pick. Uh, Derek Carr's the king of that. I'm lunging for the end zone. I lost the football, rolled out the back of it. Now the other team gets it, and it's a touchback. Like, <laughs> That's just him. He's not he, – he can't get it all together, and, and that's what it is. So I think there's quarterbacks that completely eliminate yourself. Um, I will say this, final thought on uh, the MVP as we continue to go through it. Next next week when we link, I'll have a bunch of odds for you to go through. You can tell all me right. what excites you. Um, but I'll say this. We were talking about how only three of the last 16 years of running back has won it. No one's won it in a long – you know, in, in a 10 years. Um as a running back, I have two. Can- I have sorry, three candidates that are on teams that are running backs that I think could be sleepers to win it. I'm going to have to narrow it down. Number one is Derrick Henry. Number two is Ezekiel Elliott, and number three is Dalvin Cook. So I'm going to keep an eye on them as we go through. But if you're looking for, you know, the running back slot, something a little out there. Um, you can get Dalvin Cook is a hundred to one. No digs. I, I could see them, you know, being a twelve win team, and Dalvin Cook getting it. So that's what you know. That's what you look at. What's enticing? And at a hundred to one. What are Kamara's odds looking like? Uh, Kamara's odds are seventy five to one. I think I would like my chances with. Kamara or Kamara, however you pronounce his last name, I'd like my chances with him better than I would like my chances with Dalvin Cook, just because I think the Saints are more likely to end up as that top seed. So if he can get back to normal, you know, last season he wasn't looking so hot. I don't really know what was up with him. Maybe it was injuries, and I, I don't really know. But if he can get back to what he was, I think I would like him. Here's my problem with him: Drew Brees doesn't have an MVP. If they have a great season and end up as a one seed. They're going to give it to Breeze. He doesn't have one. Yeah, you're right. Like that. So part of the MVP is narrative, right? Like you've got to be really, really good to win multiple. There are two, there are three quarterbacks who have won multiple that are on this list. Peyton Manning has four in this time period. Four. That's Tom, wild. Tom Brady has three, and Aaron Rodgers has two. So out of these 16 years, nine of them are repeats. Nine. There are only seven new players on this list. And they're only really recently. In the last five, you have Lamar, Mahomes, uh, Brady, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton. Okay? Before that, it's Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, Adrian Peterson, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. (laughs) It's like, you know, so repeats happen of these greats. So it's something to keep an eye on. If if Lamar and Mahomes are both great quarterbacks, your repeat factor is through the roof. So you got to kind of look at, you know, if anyone's close, that's why people keep putting Russell Wilson in the mix, because he needs one. So they try to get, you know, he's these, you you know, it's a popularity contest with a stat contest. So we'll get more into the numbers and then we'll start drilling down on who we think. 
uh, could I'm really get there. I'm kind of like Russell Wilson because they could improve on that 11 and five record. They could. I it's hate just the 49ers what, in that division. I hate what they do with Russell Wilson. I fucking hate it. They run so much, and 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 you have Russell Wilson and all these weapons, and they just run. But Russell Wilson's eight to one. I mean, he's really good odds. The the top three right now are Patrick Mahomes at three and a half to one, Lamar at six to one, and Russell at eight to one. I would love to see Russell Wilson have a season where he's throwing the ball thirty sometimes every okay. single game. Yeah, you'd be watching Russell Wilson play thirty six snaps. Yeah, I'd love it. <laughs> we would all love it. <laughs> it's the Seahawks would hate it. <laughs> like I don't know why, but they're like, hey, what if we run Chris Carson twenty times? And you're like, why would you want to do that? And they're like, well, we need eighty yards the hard way. And you're like, okay, sure, I guess. You know, that's not what I would do with my Super Bowl MVP. But, you know, you can do whatever you they, want. They ranked 14th last season in passing yards. Yeah. You have Russell Wilson. Like, come on, man. You got to do better. You got to do better than that. And that's my problem. Like, when we talk about, like, ownership and things like that and how do things work, sometimes the game passes a coach by. And not say Pete Carroll's washed, but – He's obviously not enjoying any of the analytical resurgence that's happening around the NFL. And, you know, we'll dive through that. Um, Let's wrap up here with thoughts on the draft today. Uh, How many do you think there is a overwhelming, uh, overwhelming census that this year is going to be the most chaotic draft ever? Do you believe that? 100%. I've been telling my friends recently that I think that we're going to see something. Someone's going to mess something up tonight, and it's going to be embarrassing, and we're all going to love it. Because if, if you set up cameras in 32 people's homes, you know someone's going to slip up eventually, and I can't wait. So I can't I, wait to see who's the first team that's going to get disconnected <laughs> and not make their pick. You know some bullshit's going to happen. I, I believe that. I completely believe there's going to be some real weird shit that happens from like a technical standpoint. I actually think this is going to be one of the most conservative drafts we've ever seen. Like in terms of trades and things like that. A lot of people are going, and here's why. I These teams at their core are conservative. All of them. Making big risk, big reward moves there are very few that do that. They're the usual suspects. You know, Atlanta's known to do it. They did it for Julio. Um, but these teams at the top are kind of set, right? Burrow's going one. Chase Young's going two. You can trade up into number three. The problem is your best offensive and best defensive player are off the board. So, you know, you might see a trade into three for the Lions. Uh, but I really don't think you're going to see a ton of movement. Because teams are going to, there's going to be a belief. It, 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 this is this is my view that there's going to be a belief that teams trust their gut here. They didn't have all of the other things that could entice them to fall in love with a player through a meeting, you know, in person. These teams are going to trust what they have, what they know, and I think I, that's I think going to that lead there's people. There's a high potential for the good teams to get a lot better in this draft, and the bad teams to not improve at all just yes. because you know the good teams are going to have to rely on you know on their instinct and you trust good teams with good scouting departments but there's less in, in leaks draft where people haven't been able to meet they haven't been yep. able to do private workouts they haven't been able to get you in the building it's just going to be like look man we watched the tape and this guy's who we think yeah so those elite teams could get a lot better there's less rumors i think too i think a lot there's a lot uh, sorry there's less 
true rumors. There's a bunch of bullshit rumors out there that make no sense at all. But, you know, you can't tell me who visited who because they do these meetings now over Zoom. You know, like there's no traveling. I don't know if you showed up to the Ravens facility. No one does. You had a meeting with Eric DaCosta and Ozzy Newsom over Zoom. That was it. So the people that know are your camp and two Ravens. You know, it's not the oh, you know, we, you know, oh, we're having 14 people in today and they're practicing out back. None of that's happening. You know, oh, I saw so and so in the building. You're not. You didn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? I bet those mock drafts that we've been looking at, that we've all been looking at recently, are all going to be way off. Because you know these people fill out their mock drafts based on the rumors. Right. But there's no rumors. <laughs> there's no rumors. I think you're going to get a feel. This is a good year to, A, determine who has real sources. Real sources. Someone like uh, Peter Schrager, I believe, has great sources. And then you have someone like Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks who evaluate things just off of tape, right? They hear some things, but they really go, these are the talented players. Those are the divides. Everyone else you're gonna see, you know, Mel Kuyper's gonna go, I have all this tape, right? He, he's, his political beliefs, and, and I mean political in terms of who's influencing him, uh, are gonna be way less. There's way less communication. There's way more people trying to organize their own shit. I mean, think about this. As far as like the conservative part of it, these GMs have to go through a whole different set of protocol. How many hours do you think they wasted, or not wasted, but spent going, this is how I'm going to be set up. This is the equipment I need. This is what we're going to do if this fails. Like These are all things that they do not have to worry about. And now we have to put them all in place. Oh, I'm going to have nine monitors set up. Okay. <laughs> That's a lot of shit, man. Like, normally you've got big boards, a room with 20 people that you can talk to consensusly and draw on a whiteboard that everyone can see. That's all gone. So I think when it comes to picks, you're going to have your GMs making a lot of calls. And there's going to be uh, teams that are set up more for analytics are going to do a lot better because they'll already be in touch with the technology. And then teams like the Giants that go, oh, you know, I just follow old school scouting and reporting. You're kind of going to be fucked. Because you weren't able to do any of those evaluations you wanted to do in person. So, how much do you know about the quarterback prospects? Um, I'm, I believe there's only two good quarterback prospects, Joe Burrow, and I believe Tua is going to be the best out of the bunch. Um, uh, the injuries are a concern. I don't know why, but I don't concern myself with injuries nowadays. I just can't think of the last time I was like, man, if he just didn't get hurt, uh, like. I can't think of a player since, you know, 2015. Technology's really taken a jump in every sport. I mean, we, we look at the NBA and player like Paul George, who keeps having injuries, can still go out there and look fresh at the beginning of the season and do really well. Now, he could break down as the season goes on, but they do a pretty good job, man, of putting you in the shop and you come out healthy. Make the call now. This, this podcast is going to live on the Internet forever. Who ends up being the better NFL quarterback, Joe Burrow or Tua? Tua. Ooh, Tua. I like it. Joe Burrow had one good year, one great, one one all-time goat year. Tua had three really good years until he got hurt last year. I'm with you. I'm with you. I just expected you to say Burrow. I I thought Burrow looked phenomenal, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna see a little bit. I, I just go, Tua was. You know, at the beginning of the football season, we were going tank for Tua, right? Remember that? Tank for yeah, Tua, yeah. tank for Tua, tank for Tua, tank for Tua. 
Now people are acting like they don't even want him. I get it. He had an injury. Are, are you – you can't get that – you know what I mean? Like, you're Miami. You're number five. You don't want Tua? Are you shitting me? No, I'm fucking picking Tua. And then you know what I'm doing? His ass is sitting for a year. Let your body grow. You're going to get in with a professional strength and conditioning coaching. We're going to fucking beef you up where we need to. We're going to get you healthy. Yeah. And Ryan we'll Fitzpatrick. We'll do one year of Fitzmagic one more time. Yep. Hey, maybe week eight you come in. You know, when we get you where you we want you. But I'm not in a rush if I'm Miami. See, the problem is Joe Burrow's going to go to the Bengals. You think the Bengals are going to be successful with Joe Burrow? I think the Bengals are almost set up for his success. I, I kind of do think so, only because they're, you know, they got the new coach. I don't know if Zach Taylor's any good, but Two you know, he's supposed to know his offense, I guess. Uh, he's got Tyler Boyd. He's going to have A.J. Green. John Ross hopefully can stay healthy. You know, like, he's got a little bit to work with, whereas if he goes, or if Tua's in Miami, you got Devontae Parker, and then what? And, and that, that sounds great. Now, since he had two wins, Miami had five. So, even with all that, even with all those pieces, if Joe Burrow came in and was a four-win improvement, they would win one more game than the Dolphins did last year. Just to put it on, like, a talent perspective all the way around. And maybe it's coaching, and that would be even more alarming. Maybe Flores is really good at coaching. No, I, I like Flores. So my view on it is, you know, I have that four-win rule. Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow comes in there, four-win improvement, which would be big in the NFL. That's a quarter of your season you won. They'd be six-win team. <laughs> so if then they turned around the year after and won four more games, they'd be a ten-win team. Probably, they're a wild card team. You know, you, you're talking about you're going to need eight more wins over two years to be a wild card team with the talent you have currently assembled. I just think that when you look at just that, the situation you're moving into, if Miami wins four wins this year, they become a nine-win team. See, the problem with being the Bengals is that you're going to have to play Lamar Jackson twice a year. You're going to have to play Ben Roethlisberger twice a year. And when fuck the Browns. Right. But you're still going to have to play them. They're still talented. Like, right. they're your Ohio rival. Uh, you know, in Miami, you play who? The, the Dolphins, you know, the, Dolphins, the Jets, the Bills, the, Bills, the Patriots are rebuilding. You know, I, you know, for success, I also look at environment. <laughs> now, now, the thing with the East is there's only one good owner, and that's Kraft, and then the other three owners. Uh, well, the Bills owner is good. Uh, the other two owners have been terrible. And the Cincinnati owner is historically bad, Mike Brown. So, I, again, I just go, you know, it's not so much about the player. Andrew Luck was a phenomenal talent, more of a talent than Joe Burrow coming out. Andrew Luck never went to a Super Bowl. So Speaking of Luck, so Brady lures, uh, I'm assuming Brady lures Gronk out of retirement. What, what chances do you think Bill gives Luck a call, you know, at some point? Maybe not this year. I'm sure he's still under contract with the Colts, but you think there's any possibility Luck gets a call from Bill? Uh, no. No, I believe Bill has wanted to rebuild this system for like four or five years. You think he's rolling with Stidham? Uh, no. <laughs> I think what Bill wants is uh, a competitive year, but I think think he wants a higher draft pick 
if Bill ends up with Trevor Lawrence, I'm going to be so pissed. Uh, he's not going to lose that many games. That's the problem. Trevor Lawrence is going to go to, like, uh, I'm going to be honest. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to end up in, like, Washington, Detroit, um, the uh, Carolina Panthers. These are teams that are setting up to be terrible. Uh, that's where he could go. Uh, Denver could fall out of the, the sky. Uh, Chicago. Um, the Patriots are, are too well coached to lose more than 10 games. And in order to get Lawrence, you're going to have to be a fucking, you know, bad team. You know, here are the bad teams from last year. Bengals, Redskins, Lions, Giants, Dolphins, Panthers, Cardinals, Jags. Okay. Do you think the Patriots are going to finish lower than no. any of them? <laughs> you know, like... You know, so the Jags are a good option. You know, there's just too many options. And and if you're one of those teams like the Bengals, right, teams called up to try to get the Bengals pick. They said that you do, you don't have the ammo. <laughs> you, you go, hey, here's 100 first-round picks. I don't want it. <laughs> That's, you know, who's trading for Lawrence? Who's going, yeah, you could, you know, oh, I'm the Detroit Lions. I'm going to stick with Matthew Stafford over Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, okay. You know, just dissolve, you know. <laughs> Move over to the XFL and dissolve out with them. Yeah, so that's the problem. He, he's not going to have the capital, and there's no amount of capital that can trade up for the first-round pick. All right, I have one more draft question to ask you. Okay. You're the Redskins sitting at number two. You, you've essentially been penciled in to Chase Young, right? Generational talent from you know what everyone says. But you also know, or I assume that they have a feeling that Dwayne Haskins isn't going to be that guy. You're in prime position to take two of yourself. What do you do? So here, here's what I'm doing from the Redskins. I'm taking Chase Young. Um, my defensive line now will probably be a top five unit in the NFL. Off Chase Young, off Kerrigan. I can't remember the two guys in the middle. They drafted some tackles. Yeah, uh, Allen from Alabama. Yeah, from Alabama. They got some big boys, okay? If I'm building a championship team, I'm going to go, that position is now set. If i got to replace Kerrigan in two years when I make my run, easy money sniper. Uh, that's my defensive line, and now I'm set. Uh, now I have a lot of needs. I do believe that Terry, the, their wide receiver they have, is good. McLaurin. Yep. I think their interior of their line is good. They need to fix their left tackle, which they need to trade Brent Williams for a first-round pick and fuck off already. And then they need to get a right tackle, which, you know, they could get their left tackle if they traded Williams. So you go, I go, I'm not ready to put a QB back there. I'm just not. My secondary is terrible. My quarterback's going to have to throw all day. I just drafted one. He's terrible. Uh, and he's going to get pulverized back there in this offense. So I rebuild the offensive line, the defensive line, solidify that top five unit, top five unit there. You can win a Super Bowl in some years with the top five unit. The Giants did it against the Patriots, basically with just an onslaught of pass rushers. We were talking about the Denver Broncos earlier. I rebuild my defensive line. Then I rebuild my offensive line later in the draft. And then I probably still am a five-win team, and I end up with one of the top quarterbacks next year. Okay. Yeah, I like that plan. That's, that's my I was thing. just thinking, like, if you know you're going to sit to a regardless, then why not just take him, trade Trent Williams for that first-round pick, draft a tackle with that pick, you know, and then spend the rest of the draft trying to rebuild the, the defense. I've also heard that the tackles for this draft are pretty pretty bad across the board. So, from a lot of scouts. Um, actually, you may remember this name. Do you know? You remember Mike Tice? Uh, Mike. He was a coach, right? Yeah, Dante coach. Culpepper, Randy Moss, Mike Tice. 
He's yes. really an offensive and defensive line guru. He does YouTube breakdowns of the incoming class, and he's not very high on any of them, any of the, the offensive linemen. Um, so, uh, for me, it, it's it's a the Redskins need to retool the defense, except that they're going to be fucking trash. But Chase Young will be exciting, and that'll draw fans in. So, you got your rookie quarterback you drafted last year. Who is it? Uh, Haskins. Yeah, and I think Haskins will be a big bust. Uh, big, big bust. I don't think he has he what it takes. He did not look good when he came in the games last year, and maybe he develops over the summer. <laughs> no, he didn't even want to be in the games last year. Remember at the end of that game that they were going to win, he ran over and took a selfie with the fans? <laughs> So my problem is I've got a quarterback who's more who's who's more worried about getting on Instagram than he is taking the kneel down. You you can't have that. There's a reason you've never seen that before. You want to know why? No one's cared that little about being the quarterback. I just don't think it translates. So uh, I also watched him on the field and I don't think he's got it. So it's two things. But that that's the way I look at it. If I'm them, uh, I'm going. Any parting thoughts? No, nah, man. I, do you have a prediction for who the Ravens will take tonight? Do, do you guys have a first-round pick? Yeah, yeah. I, I want a, a middle, a thumping middle linebacker. Again, I don't really look at players. I just look at what teams need. And for me, the Ravens need a middle, middle linebacker. Someone to come up and lay the hurt. If they're going to – a lot of people are going, oh, man, the Ravens could add a wide receiver. The general consensus is you can get a starting wide receiver in the third round. Unless the the guy that the Ravens covet is still available, they're not going to give like up a, a bunch Jerry of picks. Judy or someone like that. Yeah, but they're not going to give up a bunch of picks. That's just not who they are. They know that the draft is a 50-50 crapshoot. So they have, I think, a bunch of picks this year, like 12. They're in no hurry to, to or nine or something. They're in no hurry to go, hey, you know that horde of draft picks? And we know this whole thing's 50-50. Let's go ahead and throw a bunch of them up on one guy. I think one guy, one wide receiver is going to... When has one wide receiver put any team over the top? I'm just curious. Like, give me an example of when you went, damn, and then we won the Super Bowl. Because even when the Patriots added Randy Moss, and they were 6-0... <laughs> they six perfect and, and then lost. And lost. So, uh, to me, a wide receiver never, ever, ever puts you over the top. It just hasn't historically. So, that's, that's my real view on it. Is yeah, your wide receiver like you could say, oh well, Hill really elevates the Kansas City. Nickel. I get it, but there are ten wide receivers you could flip in and out with Hill, be great with Mahomes. So, That's true. you know, I just, it was just the best version of that receiver. The Atlanta Falcons traded up and got Julio Jones, and for that they hemorrhaged a twenty-eight to three lead in the Super Bowl, couldn't score any more points. I, I'm just saying that you you know uh, I would bet they really wanted some pass rush at the end of that game. There are only right, two right. positions I trade up for. Only two. Defensive end and quarterback. Everything else, you just let come to you. Or you trade back. Well, that's that's all that I have. Well, actually, my last parting thought is that I've seen Diana Rossini of ESPN saying that she thinks Clowney's going to end up a tight end after the draft. If that happens, might do a backflip. Yeah, I think it's one. Look, if you guys already have that lined up, then I think you're going to be... Uh, you're gonna you're gonna see your team draft a lot of interior offensive and defensive line. Need a corner. I, I think yeah, need you'll need a corner. corner. The problem is this draft is terrible for corners. Well, that, 
yeah. I don't know what they'll take best available. You know, it, that's what people say, right? It doesn't mean it's actually terrible. So, um, all right. Uh, we'll talk next week after the draft and after Jordan Doc. We're planning to go over. People can find you, Sauce Castillo Jr., on Twitter. You can find me at Pick and Play. Uh, and this will be uploaded to Spotify later today for everyone to check out. Hey, shout out Spotify. I know, finally, right? Moving on up. All right, everyone, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.